Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we seek your encouragement, your wisdom, uh, insight. Um, my guess is that you're going to put this uh, devotion in somebody's um, bring it to their attention at, at the right time. And I pray that your word would speak at the right time through Christ we pray. Amen. Um, so nobody likes to talk about discipline. I don't like to talk about discipline. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 12, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, um, don't, um, uh, don't overreact to when God disciplines us because God disciplines us because of love, just like any father disciplines a son that he loves, although no discipline is pleasant at the time. Later on, it produces a, a harvest of righteousness and peace. So I like the results of discipline. I don't like the experience of discipline. It doesn't matter what side of the discipline I'm on. But um, if we are loving a loving church that is concerned about helping people grow, um, then we will be involved in various levels of uh, various in church discipline in various times. Um, and so let me talk a little bit about that today, kind of reviewing what we've talked about, uh, um, what I talked about in my previous sermon. Um, first, uh, take responsibility for discipline if God has placed it in your path. The easiest thing is just to look the other way, to just tolerate the sin and think, well, it's not my responsibility. Um, but sin tolerated becomes sin embraced. Um, the... Um, uh, but when we confront it, God can use it, can use us to bring healing. Um, when I was in junior high, I think it was maybe high school. It was a junior high Sunday school class. Um, apparently I was being a bit of a jokester during class. And, um, I will never forget Melvin Smith. Um, one of the volunteer leaders of the church pulled me aside after Sunday school. I'll never forget. We were in the we were in the uh, stairwell um, beneath the beneath the stage of our church, the platform of our church, and and Melvin, who could be quite stern, made it very clear. You know, Brett, um, you can be a good influence or a bad influence. Today, you are a bad influence. You know, today you were distracting and it was, uh, it was not helpful. It was wrong. I forget exactly his words. I've talked to Melvin about this since. Fortunately, he has forgotten it, but um, I didn't forget it. In fact, I look back on it and I respected him at the time because he was a man worthy of respect, because I knew my parents respected him and my parents would have approved of him hold me accountable. Um, so I respect him for it. And obviously I listened to him at least to some degree and tried to fly straight. Um, church discipline is something that needs to happen lovingly and 
whenever God places, gives us the opportunity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul chastises the church because there's a man living in incest, committing incest, and the church isn't doing anything about it. In fact, they're applauding themselves for being so tolerant. And Paul says, you're not tolerant, you're just arrogant. You know, you think you're better than God. You, you think that like God's, what breaks God's heart isn't something you should be concerned about. And so Paul then goes on, he says, um, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 4, with the power of the Lord Jesus. Now, what I want you to notice here, I pointed out, but I want to point, previously, I'm going to point it out again. Notice how Paul makes Jesus the issue. Um, in the name of Jesus, you're doing the power of Jesus. Paul says, I'm with you in spirit. Paul's authority is part of this. His blessing is on them. Since Paul started this church and, and, and he has some authority over the church. Verse five, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And, and I've said, the, point out, the, the, the goal is salvation, eternal salvation, but salvation always also means to be made whole. You know, somebody who's, um, in, who's, who is tolerating sin in their own lives is not whole. They're not at peace with God. They're not at peace with themselves. If the Holy Spirit is within them, they're in turmoil. And so you're trying to work in a way that they can be at peace with God and at peace with themselves. Paul says, make the issue between, help them understand the issue is not between you. It's not personal between you and me. It's between you and God. And then he says, hand the person over to Satan for instruction. Allow that person to experience the natural consequences of their behavior. When I was an associate minister, there was a young man in our church. Everybody loved. He was a great pianist. Um, but it became known that he was um, flagrant in his um, sinfulness. Um, and uh, and the elders, because I was a friend, the elders asked me to meet with him and to see where he really was, if what we had heard was true or if it's if we're wrong or trying to collect the facts. And but but that if the, the wisdom that it was given me was um, if he refuses to repent, then then he, he needs to experience the natural consequences of his choices. And so I talked with him. He refused to repent. Um, you know, Mark, love you. We love you. But that means if, and you know, and I, and I, 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 but you know where we stand on that. In fact, yeah, he's a minister's son. He knew where his parents stood on it as well. Um, but you know, Mark, we would love to have you come back in full fellowship, but as long as this is your, as long as you're choosing this, this path, this behavior, then you're not going to be able to lead worship anymore. You're not going to be able to play the piano in services anymore. Um, now we, nobody waited at the front door to make sure to say Mark couldn't come into the worship service. People didn't give him a cold shoulder when he came in, but so, so he was still allowed to come, still able to come, but he knew where we stood as a church. He knew where we stood with him and what the natural consequences were. And so, so we realized what would happen is um, he would either kick against the goads so often 
and realize, you know what, I, I, and, and allow the pain of his consequences to say, I know I need to change. They're doing the loving thing to do. I need to, they're doing what's loving. I need to repent. Or he was going to kick against the goads enough that it was just going to get so painful that he himself would remove himself and, and go uh, some other place. And again, our, our um, responsibility was to clarify the consequences to clarify the boundaries. And then again, because the goal is restoration, we didn't want to shame him, but just by our clarity and the actions that we took, we could still be loving and he could know either he's going to change or, uh, or he's going to just be uncomfortable there. I think that's the kind of thing that Paul's talking about when he says, hand the person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Let them experience the natural consequences. Don't protect them from the natural consequences of their behavior. Um, again, in second, verse uh, 6 and 7, First Corinthians 5, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may have a may be a new unleavened batch. Sin tolerated becomes, becomes sin approved. Um, and a, a, a mentor of mine used to say, in the church today, we tend to shout grace and whisper repentance. And I think sometimes in our desire to be merciful, which is a good desire, what we actually can communicate is, um, is that we don't take sin seriously. We don't really believe that sin's going to destroy somebody's life. We don't really believe that the cross was that necessary. I mean, our sins weren't that bad because Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross. No. When we take sin seriously, we when we take the cross seriously, we take sin seriously and know the damage that it can it can do to people. Again, we're talking about extreme cases here. By the way, um, we're not talking about uh, little things that um, that that we can um, let God deal with um, individuals on their own. Okay, um, so we're talking about extreme cases. Let me go through the five practical steps just real quickly again. Five practical steps for church discipline. First, there's self-examination. Take a look at yourself. Discipline yourself. Measure yourself. Are, is my, are my motives correct? Is my perspective correct? Uh, do I Am I involved in the same sin? Is there any sin that I need to be uh, repenting of? Next comes the loving con- con- confrontation. Um the, you know, the iron sharpens iron. And, and so you sh- uh, share with somebody individually. Um, next, if that doesn't work, is the group intervention. We shared that this is parallel with what is very popular today in um, in recovery. Uh, people who are in recovery, sometimes there has to be an intervention where people who are closest to this person gets together and says, "This we all believe that this is really serious, that it's leading you to destruction. Um, we, we are pleading for you to change, to get help. This is the path forward. If you don't, these are the consequences that, that, um, that you're going to have to, that you're going to have to deal with. Um, so if, and if, if that is not effective, then verse, uh, 17, um, in, in chapter 18 says, tell it to the, tell it to the whole church. Next then is intentional isolation. Um, this is for the, the Christian, then th- there may come a time 
when you have to say, sorry, you're just, you're not going to be welcome in this small group. You're not going to be welcome in to serve in this, uh, in this capacity anymore. You know, we, we, we need you to really take this seriously. We would just beg you to repent and change and we want to help you every step of the way, because the goal is, is complete restoration. Repentance means conviction. I was wrong. Somebody genuinely taking ownership. What I did was wrong. They're repenting because they're identifying with the hurt that they've caused in others. And they genuinely are saying, I deeply regret the pain that I caused. I deep. This is the prodigal when he comes home. He comes home and he's wanting to apologize to the dad. Dad, I've sinned against you. I'm so sorry. Worldly people think that people change because of legalism, because of shame. Worldly people feel like if I'm, if I'm nice to this person, then maybe they won't change. That's manipulative. You know, that's kind of like I, we, uh, we think their change is not because God is working in them, but because we're manipulating them. We got to trust God. There's nothing much more self-righteous than tearing down other people because of their past so that we can feel morally superior. Nothing more intolerant than giving people the cold shoulder and refusing to forgive, thinking that'll teach them. No one has ever changed by legalism. The Bible says that the law was good, but it never made anybody perfect. It just shows us how sinful we are but we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ.